This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. In the squadron, they called him Bullets. But we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, congratulations to uh, Mike Johnson. Mike, congratulations to you. Mike Johnson, well done. Now, who is Mike Johnson? They're about, I think, roughly uh, 6% of the country might be named Mike Johnson, right? <laughs> That's about as uh, common a name as you can come up with, but it's the uh, the big job, the speaker job, and it looks like it's going to be Mike Johnson. No more jockeying, no more, um, no more uh, all-nighters or whatever. This is going to happen. He's got the 217. They're going through it right now on the House floor. He will be the next speaker. And he's a good guy, Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson. Who doesn't like Mike? We like Mike. Um, personally, I do like Mike. He's um, uh, very smart. He's been on um, he's been on this show a couple of times, actually, over the years. Uh, four, I, I've spoken to him at least four times. And uh, mild-mannered, but very smart, very direct. He's great on cross-examination. He doesn't have the... Um, you know, he doesn't go as viral as, say, Matt Gates or whatever, but it doesn't mean he's any less effective. He's he's very good. A Republican of Louisiana, I think. And um, I think he went to state school, a lawyer. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I don't care. You don't care. But the fake news loves to uh, find out where people went to college and make a big deal out of it. And um, it's because a lot of them went to private four-year schools, and they think there's a lot of cachet in the Ivy League. The Ivy League. I used to think there was a lot. Uh, it was a big deal until I started meeting some Ivy Leaguers, and uh, uh, they can be as dumb as they come. All right, I mean some of the. Worst. But uh, what are the Ivy Leagues? Harvard, Princeton, Yale, uh, University of Pennsylvania, Cornell, Dartmouth, Brown. And I think that's it. So, you know, we haven't had a Speaker of the House who went to one of those schools since uh, World War One. I. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but every, um, basically every other president went to some Ivy League school. Uh, a th- something like a quarter of all presidents went to Harvard. And you can look at it, uh, I guess, since World War Two. Let's see here. Uh, Biden did not go to an Ivy League school. Um he falsely says that I'm the only president to not go to an Ivy League school. <laughs> uh, that's not true. I'm, I, there are plenty, actually. and um, But it is true. A lot of them did go. Uh, Trump went to University of Pennsylvania, uh, prestigious school. Obama went to Harvard, uh, Harvard Law School, Columbia undergrad. Clinton went to Yale. Um, George W. Bush went to Yale. Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush went to Yale. Now, one of our greatest presidents, President Reagan, went to Eureka College. Have you ever heard of that? Neither have I, right? Eureka College. It's some school in the middle of nowhere. Eureka College. It sounds actually like a like a vacuum cleaner or something like that. Eureka. Doesn't it sound like an old uh, electric company from Cuba or something? Eureka. 
what else? Carter went to the Naval Academy. Uh, uh, Ford went to Yale. Uh, Nixon did not. Johnson did not. Kennedy went to Harvard. Then you have to go all the way back to FDR, went to Harvard and Columbia. Anyway, um, I like that this guy's a Louisiana state guy. Most speakers don't come from the upper crust uh, for whatever reason. That's the way it is. Um uh, you know, they have a bunch of guys testifying, uh, House, what is it, Homeland Security. Talk about bureaucrats. They have absolutely no idea what's happening at the border, nor do they want to know. They're playing a, a tricky bureaucratic game, and uh, they really don't want to know what's actually happening. And they kind of, uh, they talk about their office in such a way. Listen to this guy. This is great. I love Josh Hawley. He's a Republican of Missouri, very super smart guy. And uh, cut 19, please. Ms. Marcos, can I just start with you? You testified a moment ago to Senator Butler that every child gets a know your rights presentation. Is that correct? That is correct. Is that before or after you release them to labor traffickers? Senator, every child that comes into our care gets a know your rights presentation as well. Have you read these New York Times reports? These stories, the, the series of stories the New York Times has done on the children who are in your care, have you read them? Yes, I have. Have you read that children are scrubbing dishes, they are operating heavy machinery, they are delivering, delivering meals, they are harvesting coffee, they are working construction, they are working as housekeepers, they are working overnight shifts at plants where they are not paid, they are not going to school, they are not cared for, they are not giving meals, almost all of it illegally. Are you aware of that? That's a yes or no. Yes. She's aware of that. But she doesn't do a goddamn thing about it. Excuse me. Just make sure they get that little briefing, right? Just get the, the, the little check in the block, the little bureaucratic check in the block. They don't know what's happening, nor do they want to know what's happening. Now listen to this guy, uh, Salazar. He's very big in Homeland Security as well, charge of the border. And uh, Senator Cornyn has some pretty basic questions for him. Can't answer him. Uh, cut 18. Did you know? that in 2022 that people from 174 different countries came to our border and uh, were released into the interior of the United States, 174 countries? Did you know that? Sorry, no, sir, I did not. And did you know so far in 2023 uh, people from 143 countries have come to our border and been released by the Biden administration into the interior of the United States. Did you know that number? No, sir, I did not. Hmm. Kind of stuff you're supposed to know. Kind of stuff my dad, dad knew, my father knew off the top of his head whenever he was briefed or uh, had to uh, testify before the city council or whatever. Uh, nobody knew that department. Nobody knew his agency better than uh, than Ray Kelly. I don't know why these other guys don't do it. They should know what the hell's going on. They should know the area they're responsible for. And uh, there's this weird thing in bureaucracies like, you know, oh, uh, let me direct you. I don't know the answer, but let me direct you to the person who does. Well, I'm asking you right now. You're the you're the chief. You're the chair of this. You're the, you're the head of the damn thing. Why don't you know? Hey, by the way, today, the Red Apple Audio Network and Ramsey Mazda back the blue with special programming all day long. To all police officers everywhere, we thank you for your honor and dedication as you protect and serve. Listen all day long as Ramsey Mazda and the Red Apple Audio Network back the blue. 
And I'm uh, thrilled that we have a special guest, Ray Kelly, the longest serving police commissioner in the history of uh, the world, I think, actually. Uh, 12 years at the top, at Top Cop. And you know what's fascinating? Not one gaffe. Not one gaffe. Even people always sticking their foot in their mouth, saying things they shouldn't say. Uh, not him. Not him. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. And, you know, he did the job. He did it. Worked hard and worried about being tired, uh, later. You know who Mark Meadows is, right? Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff to, uh, President Trump. And I think the fake news is, uh, a little bit overreacting. A lot of wishful thinking going on here. Uh, Mark Meadows has flipped on Donald Trump and has taken a plea. And Mark Meadows is prepared to testify that he knew that the uh, allegations of election fraud were untrue, and he told President Trump that. Um, now, number one, we don't know that that's what's going to happen, but let's say for a moment that it does, and let's say for a moment that it did, that Mark Meadows said that to the president. President Trump is under no obligation whatsoever to listen to Mark Meadows, to pay attention to anything that he says. It does not matter. It doesn't matter if everybody in the government were telling him something. The Constitution, there's one president. There's no chief of staff actually mentioned in the Constitution. None. Zero. The president's job is enshrined in the Constitution, not the chief of staff. There is, he's under no obligation whatsoever. It does not matter. It doesn't matter what he said or what Millie said or A.G. Barr said. In a weird way, it does kind of matter what A.G. Barr said. In the summer of 2020, Wolf, we're playing with fire. And to change the rules mid-contest, it's as a matter of logic, it's open to fraud and coercion. And to change the rules this late at this late stage, we're playing with fire. This is a deeply divided country. And I thought that, man. Now, later he would say, well, there's no uh, no evidence of fraud yet. So outside of his scope. And it's a state thing, not a federal thing. More on that. Uh, you know what? There should be a hell of a lot more on that. You know, we're afraid, our side is afraid to say anything about the election. You know, we can't talk about the election. Their side can. They can say the 2016 election was totally bogus, but we can't say the same thing about 2020. Why is that? And some of them are just quitting. Here's Jenna Ellis. I'm sorry, Jenna. She just kind of lost her way. I don't know what's wrong with her, but here she is playing the woman card. Uh, cut, uh, d- 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 cut 17, please. Cut 17. Thank you, Your Honor, for the opportunity to address the court. As an attorney who is also a Christian, I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously, and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. In the wake of the 2020 presidential election, I believed that challenging the results on behalf of President Trump should be pursued in a just and legal way. I endeavored to represent my client to the best of my ability. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information. All right, stop. Especially since- stop. You know, here we go. I'm just a young girl. I'm just a young girl and I'm crying. That's playing the woman card. That's playing the, oh, I'm just a young person. Everybody else should know more than I, I everybody else knew more. I'm a, Damsel in distress. It works somehow. It doesn't really matter again. I understand why some of these people are pleading guilty. You know, are you going to put your fate in the hands of 12 strangers who could send you to jail? You know, I mean, nobody wants to go to jail. And uh, people do it all the time. They take a plea so they don't have to pay lawyers anymore. Uh, they can get on with their lives. And I think with Jenna, I don't know for sure. I don't know. You can't read somebody's soul. But I think she is... 
I think she wants back into, um, I don't know, the mainstream. She wants, she wants to be, I think more than anything, she wants to be famous. That's it. Keep going. Speaking to the media and to legislators in various states. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were in fact true. In the frenetic pace of attempting to raise challenges to the election in several states, including Georgia, I failed to do my due diligence. I believe in and I value election integrity. Stop. Stop. I believe in and I value election integrity. I believe in and I value election integrity. Wow. You believe in election integrity. What if the election is broken? And how are you actually able to establish that or not establish that? You know, this was some people say, well, there's no evidence. Yeah, but we want to find evidence. You want to initiate a judicial proceeding and then there will be a process known as discovery. A lot of people don't know this, but then the discovery is they got to open the books and they let each side, you know, snoop around and see what they can find. Every lawsuit goes off of initially a hunch. You know, I have, I have, uh, I suspect that I was ripped off here. I know I was ripped off. I think it was by that guy. That's my hunch. I want to sue him. And I want to see if I can prove it in court. You don't have to prove it day one. You don't have to prove it. No. <laughs> when I sue you, then I'm like, okay, if it all works out, uh, we're going to subpoena your records and I'm going to see on such and such date when I lost my money, did you deposit that money in your account and all that kind of thing. It's funny how they have misled so many people about this. Uh, Jenna, I don't know. I don't know. And Chesbro and the rest, uh, there are people out there, ooh, this looks very bad for Trump. It's just going to make the victory all that much more sweeter. It really is. He's going to win. Hey, do you remember Black Lives Matter summer, right? It was um, a disgraceful affair. All that looting and pillaging and breaking of windows and pretending that it was somehow righteous. You know, the burning of cars, the stealing designer handbags. Yet the media pretended that this was about racial justice and a, a, a reckoning and all that nonsense. Well, it did basically rearrange society. All right. Re- society has been rearranged. You know, nobody heard of DEI, DEI officers before diversity, equity and inclusion officers. Now we're all living under that. No matter what color you are, you're all living under this new, um, uh, kind of uh, way of thinking and talking and doing and hiring and all that stuff. I wonder. If these anti-Semitic protests are going to lead to a rearranging of society, if you know the the same people who are protesting for BLM are out there protesting uh, for uh, Hamas for the Palestinians, and there have been so many lies that have been told about all of this, and Obama himself, for him to be making the statements that he's making, he's told us every. Quite clearly, he's Barack Hussein Obama. I never had a problem or beef with his middle name, but the the fact is that yes, suspicions confirmed. He's anti-Israel. He's basically an anti-Semite, and anybody who pals around with Louis Farrakhan not when you're 15 years old, but when you're a sitting United States senator. So they're roving around in the streets. They're not getting nearly the kind of pushback and censure an opprobrium that they should be undergoing right now. How will society be rearranged? You know, uh, society was rearranged after BLM, Black Lives Matter, in big ways and small. And one of the most obvious ways is television. Did you know in a span of about three weeks, uh, white people lost all interest in uh, home financing, cooking, 
uh, personal hygiene, cars, trucks, breakfast foods, uh, lawn care, <laughs> dandruff, <laughs> you name it. Have you seen a commercial with a white person? If you do, you see 16 other people of color in the commercial. Yeah, one white person for every per, for every five people of color, right? You got to have. Why is that? Why did they rearrange everything like that? Is that the way that uh, does it? What does it say about us beforehand? I'm for all kinds of uh, inclusion, whatever. I don't think anybody should be judged on the color of their skin. It's happening now. Talk to some white actors out there and beyond. You name the industry. There are white actors who are talented who have been waiting for their big moment. I know a guy, I don't know much about acting, but this guy is a great actor. And he was on the verge of the biggest role of his life in 2021. And then he was dropped and replaced by some non-binary person who happens to be a person of color. Good for them, bad for my friend who was a superior actor, yet this opportunity evaporated because, I don't know, some executive wants to pretend that the company is, uh, what? Or they don't want the, the mob to come by and protest. You see, you see, you see? You know, real people are hurt by the elites doing their uh, virtues. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm a little bit late. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. A lot of people busted my chops because I pointed out it's uh, not Barack Obama, it's Barack Hussein Obama. How can you say that? Well, it is his middle name. And when you're trying to make a point about something larger, yeah, sometimes people use the middle name. Like when people said George Herbert Walker Bush, they were trying to make him seem like an elite preppy snob, right? George, who the hell's named Herbert Walker? Uh, uh, Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah. Uh, I am uh, calling to mind uh, that it appears that he's not on Israel's side here based on his statements, based on his actions, based on him traveling the world and apologizing for the United States of America. That outrageous statement from the other day full of lies. The Palestinians were denied a state. They were offered one in 1948. There have been three wars to eradicate Israel since. Traffic jams tailgating pileups oh the joys of driving how could it get worse the federal government wants to have a say in what you drive that's right the biden administration's epa is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today don't let washington become your backseat driver protect the freedom of driving your way visit energycitizens.org paid for by the american petroleum institute Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And you're about to listen to the voting that's going on in the House of Representatives right now for the next speaker. Uh, they're at it again, and this time I think it's going to work out for Mike Johnson, Republican of, where is he from again? Louisiana. He's going to be the next speaker. Uh, he wears glasses. He's 51 years old, and uh, I've met him once or twice. I like him. Good guy. Smart. Let's listen to what's going on down there. Murphy. Johnson. 
Nadler. Jeffries. Napolitano. Jeffries. Neal. Jeffries. Nagus. Jeffries. Nels. Johnson. I can't stand the uh, tension. I can't stand the suspense. No big deal. Uh, it's going to be him, and uh, good for him. Louisiana State University has got four kids, married to a woman named Kelly. He's from Shreveport, Louisiana. He's only been in Congress since uh, 2015. He was elected in 2014, and this will be one of the newest guys. Like this will be. Wait, um, oh no, 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 no! I take that back. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. He was elected to the state house. He was elected to the Congress in 2016. He got there when Trump got there. And now he's going to be the speaker. Good for him. We don't want any of these uh, uh, guys who have been around for a million years. New new ideas, fresh blood. Congratulations. Hey, remember, once again, today is uh, the Red Apple Audio Network and Ramsey Mazda Back the Blue with special programming all day long. To all police officers everywhere, we thank you for your honor and dedication as you protect and serve. Listen all day long as Ramsey Mazda and the Red Apple Audio Network Back the Blue. And we are good. We are good. We are joined now by one of the greatest law enforcement people in the history of law enforcement people, Ray Kelly. Welcome to the show. He's also known as my father, dad. How are you, Commissioner Ray, dad? Good to be with you. I know you had to say that, but I appreciate it anyway. Well, it's the truth. You know it, and I know it. And I, uh, you know, some, uh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You know, anyway, we had good times growing up, and uh, you did a great job. Hey, um, I want to play you something. Just listen to this guy. All right. This is, uh, this is kind of off topic, but Cornyn, Senator Cornyn was talking to one of the top border officials, right? And listen to how this exchange goes down. All right. Cut 18, please. Cut 18. Did you know that in 2022 that people from 174 different countries came to our border and uh, were released into the interior of the United States? 174 countries? Did you know that? Sorry. No, sir, I did not. And did you know so far in 2023, uh, people from 143 countries have come to our border and been released by the Biden administration into the interior of the United States? Did you know that number? No, sir, I did not. You know, a lot of these uh, bureaucrats down there seem to be so clueless about the stuff they're supposed to know. And I thought of you. I can never imagine you, if you were responsible for that kind of stuff, not knowing that kind of information. Well, it's shocking. There's no no question about it. And, of course, the major security risk to the, to the country, uh, you know, this notion that people have sort of publicly uh, thought of uh, concept is that people are coming from South America from distressed countries, uh, from you know places like Ecuador or Colombia, perhaps where there is uh, you know issues as far as freedom is concerned. But no, they're coming from all over the world. And uh, I saw that when I was the U.S. Customs Commissioner uh, in the 90s in the Clinton administration. Uh, yeah, it was very, very uh, diversified. And the reason I think it changed, and uh, you know, this is, who knows what. Who's coming across the border? There's no vetting. You know, they tell you there's vetting. There is no vetting going on. And, uh, you know, uh, 
Betty McCoy wrote, wrote an article today in the paper about how the whole notion behind this is to get people who are here illegally, get them work visas and get them to be able to vote. And, you know, in New York City, the city council passed a, uh, a law about two years ago that if you're here for four weeks, you could vote. That, that has been thankfully thrown out. But they're going to try it again. So it's, it's incredible that uh, this is not the type of information that uh, should be on, on the tip of their tongues in, in Washington, and yet they you know, just put their head in the sand. You've got two granddaughters now. One is one. The other is uh, three. Let's pretend for a moment that they were uh, 21 and 23, and they came to you and they said, you know what, uh, I'm, we're thinking about joining the NYPD. And we want to know what you think. Should we do it? What would you tell uh, them? That is a uh, tough question. The organization is still, I think, a great institution. It's, it's been so good to me. Virtually everything I, I have has come through in some way, shape, or form for the NYPD. I've had terrific uh, experiences. But it's a very difficult time to be a police officer. Certainly the most difficult time in my experience. Uh, you know, you used to know when you were a police officer that sort of the public had your back. If you got in trouble on the street, they'd be calling 911 or maybe even they, that, you know, they pitch in. Uh, you had this sort of uh, in, in, inherited, I guess, or whatever, respect that the police always seemed to have when I was, when I was growing up. No more. That is, uh, that is something of the past. They get abuse all the time. You look at those demonstrations, see how abusive they are to police officers. You know, the world changed as far as the police are concerned uh, with the George Floyd incident. So for the last three years, cops have been on a defensive. They're leaving policing in great numbers throughout America, certainly in the the major cities of uh, of America, uh, it's, it, that would be a very tough question for me to uh, to answer uh, these days. Uh, the job is not respected the way it uh, the way it was. Uh, even though, as I say, it was very good to me, and uh, I loved every minute of it. Um, I'd have to think very hard about about that. Yeah, no, that's a, that is a tough one. And, uh, boy, yeah, my daughter, I'd say, hmm, I don't know. Wouldn't you be happier, uh, <laughs> you know, wouldn't you be happier staying home? <laughs> I just don't want them to leave. I, I want them to stay for a Oh, I, yeah, I don't want them to grow up. They're so beautiful. They're so smart. God, you're so lucky. We're lucky to have them. Yeah, one, one and three. One is the one year old is Madeline. The three year old is, uh, Annalise and birthdays are coming up. Uh, for each of them soon. So oh, in December and February, yeah, I know. you'll be all over it. You'll be all over it. You know, we learned recently that George Floyd uh, did not die. Well, we actually there were indications of this uh, going back quite some time. You know, as as difficult as those images were to watch, uh, you know, a picture doesn't tell the whole story. And apparently George Floyd had a lot of drugs in him, enough to kill him. Uh, and there was no evidence of neck compression. You know, you could not see, you could not tell by looking at that picture how much force, what's his name, Chauvin was applying, uh, to, to that man. But society was rearranged as a result. But 
weren't those and weren't those goals uh kind of there for a long time the left they were going after the police for decades prior to George Floyd George Floyd just kind of intensified and and quickened a lot of things that they wanted for a long time is that right yeah it looked like a, a bell rang because the very when that film came out there were major demonstrations certainly in New York the, the day after uh, the George Floyd uh, event, 450 cops were injured in New York City trying to quell uh, the riots. It looks like they had been, been rehearsing it or whatever. I'm talking about the demonstrators. You know, they, they, they came out of nowhere. There were thousands of them. And it was a very difficult day for for cops. They simply were not uh, adequately prepared for a major event like that. That was a, it really, it was happening in, in other boroughs, too. So it was spread very, very thin. But it, it, it certainly surprised me as to how quickly those riots uh, broke out. Uh, look, I think a lot of people uh, saw that film, the eight-minute film, and it was suspicions confirmed. They thought that this is how the cops treat everybody. It's just that we're looking behind the scenes now. And, of course... That's not the case. I can say that from my over 40 years experience. That's not how cops treat prisoners. Uh, but it was, it was something that just shocked people. And, uh, it was a, it was a rallying cry for anti-police, uh, uh, notions and, and, and demonstrations all over America. There were over 300 major riots that happened in the aftermath of uh, George Floyd. And uh, cops were demonized. They were vilified. Uh, they had a back away, of course, from uh, proactive uh, policing. And they left the profession in thousands uh, all over all over America. And it's still happening. It's still happening in, in New York. Uh, the department is still losing more people than it can hire for replacements. And I don't think that's going to change anytime, anytime soon, unfortunately. Even though the, they, they received a, I think, a, a good contract through the, through the union, uh, apparently people are still leaving. Uh, it's not what they, uh, signed up for. The yeah. department has changed. They have a lot of, a lot of rules, regulations passed by the city council, uh, supported by the mayor. Certainly Mayor de Blasio was probably the, <laughs> The person who had injured the whole concept of uh, public safety here in New York the most. Uh, he, he never vetoed a bill from the city council on any subject. And he just let the city council run, run uh, rampant. It took away the ability of police officers to defend themselves with something called qualified immunity. That is a right that every other government employee has yeah. throughout the country. Hey, yeah, please. Let me ask you something. New York City, please. You know, all these uh, illegal people coming in from the south uh, border there, and uh, we know they're from countries all over the world, 165 countries. I didn't even know there were 165 countries. So they're coming from basically every country on earth, and a lot of countries uh, are, uh, well, are our enemies, and they don't want uh, the best for us. And uh, some of these people are coming. I think they're saboteurs, possibly. Ter- I, I know they're terrorists. There are people on the watch list. I mean, you used to say, I, I remember Republicans like Dick Cheney saying it's not a matter of 
if. It's a matter of when we'll be attacked. And I remember that used to bother you, you know, like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what I mean? <laughs> we don't want anything to happen. We're going to we're going to work on this. Not a matter. We didn't like that. But I do feel like right now it might be a matter of if uh, not if, but when. Well, we have to recognize that New York City is one of the prime targets in, in the world. It's seen as the, the capital of the of the world. It, we've been attacked successfully here before, although I must say, during the Bloomberg administration, we had 16 plots against the city, and none came to fruition. We invested a lot of money. We brought in lots of people from the federal agencies. We created a analytical cadre that uh, David Cohn, our intelligence commissioner, uh, says was second to none. Uh, we, we assigned people overseas, and we did an awful lot to protect the the city they were they were to act as sort of tripwise for us but we didn't have a successful attack but i i think yeah i think this is unfortunately where they want to come i hope the federal agencies i hope the nypd are being as vigilant as they possibly can uh, because it's been said many times they only have to be right once you know we have to the authorities have to be Right, all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's kind of wild when you ride around with Ray Kelly in the city, if point to any kind of corner or whatever, and you ask him about it, he'll have uh, been there, he'll have uh, arrested somebody there, he will have followed somebody, he will uh, every corner in New York City, Ray Kelly kind of knows, has some experience with. And uh, so listen, <laughs> I'd like to try that right now. I'm on 3rd Avenue in the 40s. Third Avenue in the 40s. Uh, in your career, did you ever have to uh, chase a bad guy up and down, you know, like around 49th Street, Third Avenue? Anything come to mind? Not in uh, Midtown. I, I spent uh, you know, a lot of time in Harlem and East Harlem, but we used to, uh, you know, watch suspicious people well down into the, uh, you know, close to Midtown, let's put it, put it that way. But I can't think of anything off the top of my head uh, in that uh, in that area but i worked in 25 different commands and a lot of different experiences i may have i have to put on my thinking cap i'm thinking of one right now we were at a restaurant and i didn't notice it but you said this is a scam and i think you grab the guy somebody comes in pretends they're drunk they hang up their coat and then they leave Oh yeah, right. Tell us right. about that. that. Well, to, to me, I was like that. Uh, I think it happened at Smith and Walensky. See, that's what I think. You, I thought you were going to say that because I'm looking at it right now. It's across the street. So, uh, tell us about. I don't that. remember the, the restaurant, but what happened is, the guy comes in. He's he's sort of uh, staggering, acting like he's drunk. There is a coat rack, and he just goes over to the coat rack, takes takes a, a coat off the coat rack, and puts it on. And then it goes to walk out the door. And I think we, I think we grabbed him and at least got the coat back. <laughs> I just love it. Don't try to pull something when Ray Kelly is sitting around. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Ray Kelly, longest serving police commissioner, uh, the NYPD, longest serving father that I've ever known. <laughs> thank you, sir. Hey, hey, by the way, they just elected a speaker, uh, speaker Mike Johnson. It's, uh, it's official. They made it 220 votes, huh? Good for him. We can get back to work down there. Thank you, dad. Right. And we'll right. be right back. Okay. So take care. Bye bye. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. 
All right, they're all giving themselves a great big round of applause. Mike Johnson, I guess, are applauding him. He's the new speaker. Everyone's clapping. I'm looking at him right now. He's in the middle there. Good for him. Good for him. He's like a worker, right? He's a worker. He's not a show horse. Uh, he's a workhorse. And uh, what a moment for him. Hasn't been in the house for all that long. Got there in 2016. And um, now he's the top guy. And I actually remember looking at him over the years and wondering, like, hmm, he's very smart. He's good. But he was always eclipsed on the Judiciary Committee by by Matt Gates and by Jim Jordan. Those guys were a bit more fiery. I thought Mike Johnson was just as effective, but just a little bit different. Um, he's the new speaker. I, I guess we should uh, – you want to hear what he sounds like? <laughs> Nobody knows what this guy sounds like. Let me see if I can find him saying anything. Um, here we go. All right, I just found something. Let me see if I can get this over to the printers, and they'll turn this around for me, if you don't mind. Um, this is recently, and, um, you know, these guys, uh, when you become a leader in the house, you make it big and you get security, you get a caravan, you get all kinds of stuff. He is, what is it? Second in line to the presidency. So there's the president then there's the vice president and then it's the speaker of the house. So if something happened to Joe and Kamala, God forbid, you know, tonight, this guy would be president of the United States tomorrow. That's kind of wild, huh? Um, Mike Johnson. Mm, I don't know, we can get back to work. And you know that whole thing with Kevin and all that drama? It'll be like it never happened. It's no big deal. Right? Are you ready? Let me know. Um, and it just doesn't affect my life. It doesn't affect your life. I want certain things, but I want the January 6th tapes and I want the impeachment inquiry. And then we'll be okay. All right, Mike? Uh, let's listen to Mike. Here he is, Mike Johnson, the new speaker. Speech. You good, TV? I'll be when the audio gets fixed. Yeah. We want to thank all the press for waiting. It's been quite a process. What? Democracy is messy sometimes, but it is our system. This conference that you see, this House Republican majority, is united. All right, I can barely hear the guy. I can barely hear it. All right, good for him. Congratulations, Mike. I'm going to get another clip. This is him, like, on, you know, him mixing it up with the uh, the bureaucrats down there, and he's very good, good, good cross-examiner. Um, so that's happening. Hey, did you see that cop who got hit by the those crazy kids in Las Vegas? They deliberately mowed down that police officer, and they think because they're juveniles, 16, 17, they're going to get away with it. They're not going to have to get go to jail. Uh, I don't think that's going to work out that way. But what was so disgusting, they're laughing in courtroom and flipping off the family, giving the family the middle finger. Can you believe that one? They just destroyed that man. They destroyed that family, ran over the father, and they're laughing about it in court. The family was great. You know what they're, they're blaming, actually? The parents! Uh, Greg 
Kelly. Entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, Joe Biden's about to have a press conference, but it's not going to be a real press conference. He's going to be, yeah, who's he with here? It's the Prime Minister of Australia. Love Australia. Who's the Prime Minister? Um, look, yeah, somebody named Anthony Albanese. So what they're going to do is have questions, right, from the Australian press, from the American press. Each side gets like two, maybe three questions, and then that's it. Half the time, uh, it's uh, Mr. Albanese from Australia talking. This is what they do to protect Joe. It's a way to protect him. Uh, he can't withstand, you know, a, a real press conference. And then again, our media, they don't want to subject him to one either. They're not demanding one. They're all gentle. They're all coddling. They want to protect him because they hate Trump. And it's anything to stop Trump. All right. So I told you about this guy, Mike Johnson, the new speaker. Brand new speaker of the House. Good for him. Second in line to the presidency. A lot of people get this confused. He is second in line. You know who's first in line? Kamala Harris. Then he's second, the Speaker of the House. It's a pretty big deal job. And um, good for him. It means that, you know, sometimes you're toiling away. You know, you're toiling away. You, maybe you're doing a good job, but you feel like you're not being recognized. You feel like you're not being noticed. You feel like you're, you're being overlooked. Well, as you know, uh, God sees everything. He knows what's going on. And nothing passes his notice. And, yeah, what you're doing may pass, uh, may may not be noticed by uh, the media may not be noticed by the beautiful people, may not be noticed by your neighbors, even your spouse, whatever. It may just be ignored by the world, but God knows what you're doing. And then um, he can reward you or he can punish you. He can actually not punish you in a mean way, but, you know, straighten you out. I learned so much about this now that I have children, you know. I mean, there are times where I pick her up and I leave the room and, you know, I scold her and, uh, you know. Uh, it's because I love her, and you got to straighten her out sometimes, and we got to be straightened out. And that's why we, you know, discipline. God's love includes discipline. It also includes uh, beautiful rewards. And I think Mike Johnson, Republican of Louisiana, is being rewarded for his uh, public service, which often did not catch all that much attention. He was not the senior guy on these committees, so other people would speak first, and he'd get to go, you know, way down the line. Usually after all the TV networks had moved on to something else. Uh, but he didn't let that discourage him. And he didn't let that, uh, he still did his job and he did it brilliantly. So this is the Homeland Security Committee, I think. And, uh, Mayorkas, you know, Alejandro Mayorkas, that guy with the bulgy eyeballs who's always kind of smiling no matter what the hell's going on. Very strange individual. And, um, and Mike Johnson lets him have it. All right. Listen to this. It's, uh, it's pretty good tell you I'm not sure exactly what you do at the Department of Homeland Security other than great harm. On your watch, the data is pretty clear. We've had record levels of illegal immigration, a rapid decline in deportations, skyrocketing fentanyl deaths across our country, and the Secret Service, which is a DHS component, can't determine who left cocaine at the White House. In the middle of all this, you created the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, CISA, which is a division of, 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 your, of DHS, and it's one of the Biden administration agencies that colluded with and coerced the social media companies to censor Americans' protected free speech online. That's specifically detailed in a 155-page court opinion that came out of the federal court in Louisiana in the landmark litigation of Missouri v. Biden. Have you read that court opinion? 
Congressman, I, I have not, and um, the, uh, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency does not censor speech. The court found otherwise, and it's really curious to me. Actually, it's quite alarming that you haven't read the opinion because your agency is listed in this opinion. The federal court looked at volumes of evidence over months of litigation, and they determined, among other things, that uh, if the allegations made by the plaintiffs, the states in this case are true, and, and hold on, the preliminary injunction was granted against your agency, sir. The court said it involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. And you're telling me this opinion issued July 4th has not reached your desk? No one's briefed you on it? Oh, I have been briefed on the Missouri litigation. Okay, but you haven't taken the time to read it yet. Congressman, um, No, hold on. Have you read it or not? I have read parts of it, Congressman. Oh, parts of it. Did you read the parts where it said that this is Orwellian and dystopian and that your agency is involved in a massive cover-up of specifically conservatives free speech online? Congressman, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is not involved in such conduct. Okay. Well, the court found otherwise, and you stand here under oath and you give us these answers that we know were not true because this is demonstrably untrue. I'm suggesting to you that you're saying things to us under oath that are proven by the record to be untrue. Let me ask you about this specifically. Um, CISA was created to, uh, we call it the Misinformation and Disinformation Subcommittee of CISA. Are you familiar with that? Uh, MDM, the MDM subcommittee, is it, you're familiar with that? Congressman, I am very well aware of the threat of disinformation emanating from adverse nations. Are you familiar with the subcommittee? Just answer the question. I am. Okay. Does it still exist? Congressman, are you speaking of the... Does the MDM subcommittee still exist? Uh, I would have to get back to you on that. Okay. All right. Kind of a big deal in your agency. I'm uh, kind of shocked that you don't know the answer to that. Can you define what misinformation is? Congressman, um, misinformation is false information that is disseminated uh, to... uh, Excellent. Who determines what is false? Uh, Congressman, our focus... No, who determines what is false in your agency? If you're going to pull something off the Internet and collude with a social media platform to make sure Americans don't see it, who determines what's false? Congressman, we don't do that. That's not true. That is not true. That is not what the court has found. This is not a Republican talking point. This is what the documents show. We've had people testify under oath that say, and you just define the term, you're telling me that you don't know who determines what is false? Congressman, what we do at CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, is identify the tactics that adverse nation states use to weaponize disinformation. Okay, what is disinformation? What is disinformation? Disinformation is inaccurate information. Who determines what's inaccurate? Who determines what's false? Do you understand the problem here? The reason the framers of our Constitution did not create an exception for, quote-unquote, false information from the First Amendment is because they didn't trust the government to determine what it is. And you have whole committees of people in your agency trying to determine what they they determine, they define as false or misinformation. That is not true. Then what is true? What we Please do enlighten us. Is what we do is we disclose the tactics that adverse nation states are utilizing to weaponize no, information. No, sir. No, sir. The court found specifically it's a finding of fact that is not disputed by the government defendants, the Biden administration, your agency, the FBI, or DHS, not in the litigation. They determined you made, you and all of your cohorts made no distinction between domestic speech and foreign speech. So don't stand there and tell me under oath that you only focused on adverse, you know, uh, adversaries around the world, foreign actors. That's not true. Congressman, the the Missouri case, the litigation to which you refer, is the, the subject of continuing litigation. But the facts were not disputed, and I so, 
so regret that I'm out of time. I hope I get some more yielded. Oh, you will. You will, Mike Johnson. Wasn't that great? Just methodical. No frills, but devastating at the same time. All right, this guy's going to be a superstar. Uh, and he deserves it. Good for him. You notice my voice is very, uh, I don't know, right? Kind of like uh, play Misty for me, yeah, right? That kind of guy. Uh, I had a cold or have a cold or whatever. Hey, Trump is still going to the uh, downtown trial. Uh, the, the, the trial itself is a fraud. Trump should not be going through this. And they asked him about the Mike Johnson thing. You got this all good? Uh, yeah, they asked him about Mike Johnson and, uh, he's, uh, he's all for Mike Johnson. He was not for Todd Emmer. That was a, it would have been a big mistake. Big mistake. And uh, I'm very pleased. All right, Michael, what's going on? Michael in Seaford. Well, never mind then. Andy on Long Island, how are you? Hey. Yes. Hey, what's up, Dave? Yeah, we've heard that before. This guy's going to be a superstar. Uh, Greg, listen, the hard left is hey, running Hey, calm down. Score. Give him a break. All right, he just got there. He, I just played that clip. He was very good. Let's hope for the best. What kind of attitude is that? I, I always hope for the best. I have nothing against him. I'm just saying I've heard that before. As I watched the hard left front of the score having a field day. I mean, it, it's insane what goes on in, in this society today. You know something, Greg? Andy. Um, a lot. Of- uh, yeah. What, what, is your name Andy for real? Yeah. Andy, Andrew is my name. First name is Andrew. They call me Andy. Uh-huh. Okay. And what is what is it? Andy, they call me. Okay, uh, the thing is, I'm trying to, I'm trying to try to press the point. Is there really is no opposition to this invasion of America? You hear people now talk about it, but I never heard them say anything about it while it was going on. You know, California's been invaded for the last seventy years. It's it's not a situation when it shows up in your backyard. You say, well, let's just move them around, put them in someone else's backyard. That's not the American way. I mean, did the hard left? Is, is having their way. They are vicious individuals. They're inside this country. I mean, we've lived in New York our whole life. I know how the hard left is. I can see right through people. And I know how vicious you they are. You can see right through people. What do you mean by that? I Well, if I walk into a room within a few minutes of talking to a person or something, I can see right through. No, you can't. Coming. No, you can't. You don't have any superpowers. You, you, you don't have anything. No, you can't judge people like that. All right. And you know what? People change. What's with you and your snap judgments? Ah, this guy's not a superstar. I heard that all before. Ah, what's going on? Nobody's doing nothing about nothing. Ah, you know, I, I know people in eight seconds. I know exactly who they are, where they're coming from. Man, Andy. And by the way, I got a little note here about what you wanted to talk about. You're not talking about that. Well, According to my it. little note here, you went to an Ivy League college. Is that true? Which one? That is correct, Mungo. Which yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, so what was your point about that? Well, my point is like you know, first of all, all right, Andy. Got- thank you very much. I'll look forward to your podcast, uh, Dan in Queens. Hello. Uh, sorry, thanks for taking my call. I was uh, really uh, heartfelt to hearing your dad's voice today. It was great to hear him again. Uh, I worked for your dad. Um, I'm a retired second grade detective, uh, and. Um, I uh, just uh, want to wish him best of luck and best of health, of course. Um, he um, definitely kept the, the NYPD um, uh, in uh, great shape when he was the commissioner. And uh, it's a shame that we don't have him as our mayor. Of course, maybe if you run, 
it would be great to have you. Um, but I would just like to uh, comment on things that he did during his time and his uh, tenure at the NYPD, where he uh, kept uh, programs going. He uh, enhanced a lot of our uh, intelligence programs overseas, not just within the city, but all over the world, and uh, kept information flowing that if we were to have any sort of terrorist attack, that we could be um, almost uh, you know boots on the ground in different countries to keep us safe here in New York City. And uh, he actually started a program after 9-11 called the Actively Retired Program. And um, it uh, kept uh, retired members like myself and other members of all types of expertise and experience on a job to assist in any type of further, uh, uh, you know, future disasters that may have happened. Right. And um, I think that kind of fell apart and after him. Uh, and um, it's a shame because we, we may need those people uh, to, uh, God forbid, anything happens again in the city. But uh, I do want to just praise your dad and, and, and hope he has the best of help and, uh, and hopefully uh, he stays well for a long, long time. Uh, Dan, so kind of you. Thank you very much. Yeah, he, people don't understand or don't realize. Well, you do, but very creative. He's very creative, very much has the mind of an artist. And, you know, just because something hadn't been done before, you know, he was willing to try it and, you know, let's see how we can, you know, solve this problem. And, you know, a lot of people just fill slots. He uh, He wasn't that way. He was a very, very creative Dynamic leader Dan, I, I you're so kind of you. How how are you? How are you these days? What are you up to? Very good, very good. I appreciate. It. I, I still work. I'm working up, but maybe up until December. I'll be 62, and I'm hoping to retire by then. But I, I uh, always keep in touch with a lot of people that I worked. I just last week I had lunch with a bunch of guys that um, we worked with. I worked out of the crime scene unit, and uh, you know we were we were integral in, in working hand in hand with the uh, office of uh, chief medical examiner during that whole time uh, of, during that time, and it was a um, um, you know, it was a traumatic time for oh, a lot of people. Yeah, post nine eleven, uh, right? Post nine eleven. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, the, uh, the, was... the search for the remains is a. Hey, listen, I'm out of time. Dan, good stuff. Good luck. Stay. Say hi to your friends and uh, thank you for the kind words. And I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, uh, once again, hey, it's beautiful outside. It's 70, 70 degrees. Wow. Gotten very, very chilly. Hey, hey, the guy, can we get this, please? He's a Mr. Mr. Speaker introducing himself to America. He's the speaker. They gave him the, they gave him the big, uh, chair and they gave him that big hammer. What do they call that hammer? The gavel, right? The gavel. And, uh, oh, brother, they're going to be like more rounds of applause for this guy. Standing ovations, uh, yeah, he sneezes, and they give him a standing ovation. Anyway, it's very ceremonial right now. All right, let's listen for a bit. With you on behalf of the American people, I know we see things from very different points of view, but I know that in your heart you love and care about this country and you want to do what's right, and so we're going to find common ground there, all right? I want to uh, express my great thanks for our Speaker Emeritus, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin has dedicated over two decades of his life to selfless public service, 16 of those years in this house. And you would be hard-pressed to find anybody who loves this institution more or has contributed more to it. 
He is the reason we're in this majority today. His impact can never be overstated, and I, I want to thank him for his leadership, his friendship, and the, the selfless sacrifice that you and Judy have made for so many years. You, you helped build it, Kevin, and we owe you a great debt of gratitude. I want to thank the dedicated and overworked staff of this beleaguered house. They accept praise so stoically. But, but Miss, Miss Susan Cole, our house reading clerk, and yes, yes. Uh, the reading clerk? Who the hell's the reading clerk? All right, enough. Thank you. Good luck. Get to work. Let me know when you uh, release all the January 6th footage. I want to see that January 6th footage. I want it to be streaming. I want every American to have access to it. I want to follow every step of the way that that Horns guy took with the Capitol Hill cops uh, leading him around. I want this House impeachment inquiry upgraded to uh, what's what comes after inquiry, uh, an inquisition or something like that. There's There are levels of impeachment. I think we got to start passing the articles of impeachment, right? Uh, you know, I'm sorry, but when a $200,000 uh, payment comes to Joe Biden the same day his brother, and the payment comes from his brother the same day his brother gets paid $200,000 from some company that James promised he could get them business because he's a Biden and good to get him business from the Middle East, uh, where there's smoke, uh, there are flames, and I have no doubt that he is one dirty, dirty, dirty dude. So let's get on with it. Congratulations, Mike Johnson. Hey, what's his middle name? Maybe you should start using his middle name, something exotic. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, you know, we got the best podcast in the world here at WABC, and one of those is uh, Cop Talk, the Cop Talk podcast. You get it on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, retired Detective Kevin Schroeder, along with his partner, Captain Ed Mamet. And uh, these guys have amazing stories over the decades from the NYPD. And, of course, today is uh, the Red Apple Audio Network and Ramsey Mazda, Back the Blue, with special programming all day long. To all police officers everywhere, we thank you for your honor and dedication as you protect and serve. Listen all day long as Ramsey Mazda and uh, the Red Apple Audio Network, Back the Blue. And, Ed, first to you, you and my dad were on active duty together. You were cops together. Yes. I want to tell you that <clears throat> I did 40 years, and I worked under 11 commissioners. And I know your father since 1972. We came off the same lieutenant's list, and we came off the same captain's list. And I have to say, he was the best police commissioner that I recall in my time. He is a was and is a class act. And I wish he had one for mayor. Thank you, sir, very, very much. So I was in the same room as you when I was in first grade. I I remember when he got promoted to lieutenant. It was a big deal in the house, and uh, we all went to police headquarters. Were you promoted with him? Uh, I was promoted before him. Oh, uh, so we missed he, each other. No, because what happened was I believe he had just come back from Vietnam, and he was studying for law. He was junior to me in seniority, and seniority counted toward the promotion. Mm. So I was higher on the list because I had more time in the job than him. I believe I'm five years older than him, and I had more time. But uh, we came off the same promotion list, and what? he um, he went on to be police commissioner. 
Yeah, I know. We're so proud. And even when we were kids, we realized, you know what? Hey, this guy who lives with us, he's going places. <laughs> Detective Schroeder, Kevin Schroeder. Uh, first of all, when, from when to when were you on uh, the police force? Uh, first of all, Greg, thank you for having us on your show. Uh, I came on in January of 1985, and I retired October of 2012. Wow. Almost uh, 28 years. And overall, you had a good time? It's a great job, greatest job in the world, and I met people on this job that I'm friends with probably the rest of my life. You're a detective. When you walk in, first of all, did you ever investigate a case? Did you always have a partner when you investigate a case? Yes, we had a team. And uh, if you went to just ask somebody questions, could you tell? Could you could just get a hunch that, okay, this guy's dirty or this guy's hiding something? Or you get you develop a bit of a sixth sense, right? You do, and basically ask a question, solve a crime. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, don't be afraid to ask a question. You no, know, there's no question that's uh, out of the ordinary. I mean, if you if you you investigate a crime, uh, always ask every question possible. And if you have to ask it a second time, third time, so be it until you get the right answer, actually the truth. You know, uh, you ever see in Law and & Order and they go in, they ask questions, and the guy, whoever it is, is always doing something else, moving packages, tending bar. I mean, when cops come in with questions, people are like, uh, what? You're right? They they freak out a little bit, right? They're, they're really on guard. They get nervous, yes. Yeah. It's so un- unrealistic, the cop shows. So listen, uh, the Cop Talk podcast, Ed, tell us how it works. Uh, well, what we do is we try to have a very broad uh, spectrum. We, we contact people around the world who are involved in law enforcement, either sworn, sworn uh, law enforcement or civilians, to get their perspective on uh, what's going on. Uh, we try to stay away from the narrow focus of, you know, cases and crime. Uh, we get involved in policy issues. Um, and things like that. And, uh, you know, we've had some very good uh, guests on the show. We've even had uh, Andrew Giuliani. We've had, um, uh, we're trying to get you on. <laughs> We'd love to get your father on. You you guys have a phone, don't you? <laughs> we're here, okay. right down the hall, okay. anytime. So, uh, hey, it's got to be impossible, uh, Kevin, uh, retired detective, to get away with murder these days. I mean, like, with all the cameras everywhere and the technology, it's... I mean, are they, what do they call it, closing the case? When you close a case, you solve a case, right? Correct. So is the closure rate today, like, higher than it's ever been before? Oh, again, with the help of video and surveillance, which, I mean, today you can't, you know, throw a gum wrapper on the street without it being seen on court on camera. So uh, I believe with the uh, uh, the cameras uh, in the city of New York today, as well as every everyone has a ring camera, I mean, everything's caught. Anything that's done, I believe, in New York City is caught on camera. So, yes, I'm sure... It uh, helps the detectives of New York City solve their crimes as well, besides old-fashioned police work as, as well, knocking on doors and asking questions. Yeah, my dad was in almost every command, but he was never a detective. Um, how do you become a detective? Uh, there's many ways. You have to do investigative time to become a detective. Uh, you start at the third-grade detective. Actually, I was promoted second and first-grade detective under your dad while he was commissioner, uh, so thank you for that. But with that said, basically, you have to put in your time, investigative time, to uh, be promoted to third grade detective. Can I ask you a cop story, Captain Ed? Uh, what is the most exciting chase? You ever have to chase somebody down? Uh, yeah, but the best case I ever worked on. But tell me about the chase first. The chase? Yeah. You ever, like, just run after somebody, either, like, on the street or in, in yeah, a car? Yeah, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> you were going to have a heart attack. Well, what happened? Uh, I was a young detective in the narcotics uh, bureau. And uh, we observed a drug sale, 
and uh, we went to arrest the guy, and he took off. And I remember I was chasing him, and I was I was young. And I we chased him several blocks, and I started to get out of breath. And I said, oh, my God, I feel I'm going to have a heart attack. I didn't. But um, we chased him and chased him. But, you know, chasing people, it could be quite dangerous. You can. Yeah. Did he get away? Uh, no. my We apprehended him. I think my partner grabbed him. Oh, I, I love it. I was out of breath. <laughs> you know, most people, most people like, you know, them. <laughs> They can go. They can go an entire year without being chased, an entire lifetime without chasing somebody. You know, you chase people, and when you're playing tag, and you guys did it at work, I think it's pretty, pretty wild. It's a pretty cool profession. All right, but the best case you ever did, you, you I, I the cut best you case I ever worked on, I was <clears throat> was in 1971. Um, they had just created what was called detective specialization, where the instead of the uh, detective Precinct detective squads handling, handling cases. They were on a specialized basis, and I was in the robbery squad. And there was a robbery of the municipal reference, uh, the municipal um, uh, finance center at the uh, in the municipal building. Um, Brinks was delivering the money, and uh, three bad guys came up with guns and shot the two Brinks guards and escaped with the money across the Brooklyn Bridge. And it turned out. Unfortunately, one of the robbers was a police officer, an active-duty police officer. His name was John Crocker. Wow. And uh, uh, interestingly enough, an off-duty cop who was in the area saw this. Uh, he ran up on the uh, the uh, esplanade of the bridge. And he fired several shots into the car. And several days later, the car was found abandoned in Brooklyn with bullet holes and, believe it or not, about four parking tickets. And it had blood in the seat. So, anyway, somebody called us and said, there's a car here with bullet holes. And we traced the car back to this, um, the woman who was his wife. And when she showed up at the scene, we had detectives bring her back. She said she, the last person that used the car was her husband. And, uh, and I said, well, what does your husband do? So she said, he does what you do. I said, what do you mean by that? Turns out he was a police officer, a uniformed police officer assigned to the 90th precinct in Brooklyn, <clears throat> and he was—he himself was wounded by the uh, off-duty cops' bullets. And he called up at night. He was supposed to come in at midnight. He called for emergency leave, uh, and he was granted. And he took off, <clears throat> went down south, and uh, eventually uh, he surrendered. And there was a trial, and he was sentenced to 25 years. Wow. You know, uh, I'm looking at this case. It's just as you described. I found it in the New York Times, 1971. Everything you just said, the names, everything. You got it. it it's all there. Do we know if this guy got, ever got out of jail? Yes, he did. He did his time. He got out. 25 years? He must have got I don't early. think he did 25, but it was a tough piece of work because the money was never recovered. And I remember that people went to see him in prison. And his nickname was Hacksaw. And he was a tough guy. He wouldn't give anybody up because there were other people involved in that case. And um, we figured he knew where the money was, and he waited till he got out of jail, and he got it. I remember his, his wife's name was uh, Betty Crocker, Elizabeth Crocker. How about that? Deputy Police Commissioner Robert Daly, in charge of press relations, reflected on the department's confusion over why the patrolman, John Crocker, 42 years old, would have become involved in what was described by detectives as a well-planned operation. No doubt he was a very good cop. We can't understand what went wrong. Huh. Um that's pretty wild. I love these cop stories. And uh, Kevin Schroeder, I know you do the the policies and uh, all that other stuff, but nothing like a good cop story. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, you got one? Oh, I have many. 
So, uh, but speaking about homicides, uh, you know, uh, Carnegie Deli homicide was a case in Midtown North had. I was a detective there. It wasn't my case, but I was assigned to, of course, the team to help out solve that case. It was five people shot, three dead, triple homicide in May of 2001. And then, of course, four months later was 9-11. So we were running with that case. And then, of course, four months later is 9-11. So it was a, uh unfortunate busy year for the Midtown North Detective Squad. But it was an interesting case because it was basically, uh, they called it the Carnegie Deli homicide because it, it, it all happened above the Carnegie Deli. It was an apartment building above the Carnegie Deli. Hom- uh, that's why they call it the Carnegie Deli homicide. Right. Um, but uh, it was two shooters, and it took about uh, three or four months, and uh, they were both arrested. I believe one was found uh, out of out of Miami uh, after they were they were seen on the um, most America's Most Wanted. Is when we got the second piece to the homicide. So the homicide was solved four months later, and then of course we were right into nine eleven. Wow. Wow. So I asked my dad earlier if you guys, if he would recommend that his grandchildren, when they become of age, 21, 23, whatever, would he recommend joining the police department if they wanted to? He said, ooh, that's a tough question. I don't know. And I love the institution, but, uh, you know, it's kind of lost its way. How would you answer that, Ed? I think I would answer it the same way. But I would like to tell you a very interesting story about your father. Uh, that I didn't know until 20 years later after the incident. Uh, and I heard him this morning talking about how he became such a great leader through his Marine Corps experience. Mm. Uh, and I, as I think I once told you, I was in Marine aviation, um, so I have that kinship with him. But in 1973, I was seriously injured. I mean, really bad. I was almost, I almost died. And I was on, I was, I was severely, uh, very, very sick. And I didn't know it, but your father had came to the hospital and was there, and I never knew he was there. Twenty years later, when he was the police commissioner, I received an award, and he presented the award, and he spoke about how he went to visit me in the hospital. And he described that I was on an ice bed and I was I had very high fevers. And after the ceremony, I went over there. I said, hey, Ray. I never knew you went to the hospital. Why don't you tell me? He says, well, what what, what good would it do? You know, I was there, and he, he saw my, my wife, and he consoled her. And I thought that was so admirable of him. And, and I learned that one of the things that he learned was to, in, in the PD, he used to call the cops that were sick. He would call them and visit them. And he learned all this in the Marine Corps. And that's one of the things people don't know about him, is that he had great compassion for the injured uh, police officers, whether it was line of duty or non-line of duty, he would visit them and call them. Mm. And I thought that was just great. Yeah. No. And so humble. He never, as I say, in all the years I knew him, he never told me that he was in the hospital to visit me until 20 years later when he gave me that award. Huh. Um, I know this sounds really crazy, but I think I remember him visiting you in the hospital. I know that sounds really nuts, but I have memories from this period, believe it or not. You know, I was three, four. I, I actually kind of remember, and um, I think I could be complaining. No, no, well, your mother did also, because when I met your mother, she remembered she remembered my name. Wow. But he's such a class act. I, I just, you know, I wish he would come back. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ed. So uh, the podcast, uh, you guys get along, you know, co-anchors. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I was with Rosanna Scotto. I love her, but man, oh, man, you know. <laughs> It has it has its uh, challenges. You guys, uh, everything good when you're in the booth together? Oh, yeah, Kevin and I are in sync. You know, it's interesting. 
I was a captain. Kevin, Kevin wants to talk. Oh, go ahead, Kevin. It is interesting because he was a captain management and I was a junior rep. I was a delegate for the Detective Endowment Association. Right. So it's interesting. Boss management versus detective union. He still pulls but, rank. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, but we get along very well. We get along very well. And, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, he puts me in my place and sometimes I, I have to put him in his place. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. He's the host and I'm the co-host. Oh, all right. So you you were the co-host. Yeah, he's, so he's the boss. He's the main guy. Yeah, but you were the boss. No, oh, he's the boss. How did? How is it he's the boss? Because it was his idea. He came up with the idea originally about a cop talk show, and I spoke to John Katsimatidis about it. John knows Kevin also. Um, in fact, Kevin knows John longer than I do. Uh, and I and, and they said, fine, let's give it a shot. And Ke- Chad Lopez also liked it, the idea. And so we went with it, but it was Kevin's idea. Well, it's a great idea, and it's a great podcast, and you're great, guys. It's Thank called you. the Cop Talk Podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts, but uh, also on our website, of course, the BBC Radio. And uh, Ed and uh, Kevin, thank you. Continued success. And uh, final thoughts, Kevin? Well, thank you for having us on, and I hope that uh, you'll be our guest someday soon. And with that said, God bless the NYPD, and God bless America. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. And Ed? when you see your father again, would you ask him if he would like to come on our podcast? <laughs> Okay, you know, I, I, I'm not his booker, you know. I mean, just they, give him a call. All right. He visited you in the hospital. You can give him a call. Okay. All right. And Greg, uh, thank you for your service as well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, 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 thank you, sir. We'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It is pretty cool. You start talking to cops and, uh, their stories are amazing. You know, they just, uh, most of us, you know, what is our day? It's meetings. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, no matter what kind of job you do, it's kind of humdrum. You know, even whether it's, he's just kind of, but these guys are running down, uh, alleys, uh, chasing people, sometimes shooting guns, jumping on cars. It's, uh, it's a life like no other. And, uh, it's very intriguing. Uh, you know, if I, if I added it all up, there are some pretty, you know, in the Marine Corps, some pretty wild stuff happened. You know, one really wild thing that happened once, and it's not nearly, it's not, it's not the most wild thing, but I think about it sometimes. I was in my apartment and there was a frantic, this is a, in 2001, before 9-11, there's a frantic pounding at the door. And it's like, it's like nine in the morning on a, on a Saturday. And I think, what the hell's going on? And like, I look through it, please help, please help, please help. And it's a woman. And I open the door. I'm like, what? And I'm in my underwear. She goes, my son, he's going to jump out the window. He is, he is trapped. I'm like, what? Please help me open the door. I'm like, what? Where is he? And he he, come quick. He's, he's in his, he's in the room here. It's right, the apartment right next to mine. And I'm in my underwear, mind you. He's like, I need, and I say, does he have any weapons? Just no. He said, the door is slammed shut. He can't open the door. And he's in there and he's panicking. He's like, <laughs> making a lot of noise. And, uh, so I said, okay, uh, I kicked the door open. Boom. And like right away, he got, like, got his act together. Like right away, he was cured. But I, the, the door had been painted the night before and the wet, it somehow painted shut and the kid could not get out of the room. And he was threatening to join. He was so panicked for whatever reason. So uh, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was pretty cool. And I went from like a, a sound sleep to kicking down a door in about 52 seconds, you know. And then uh, and anyway, that's 20 years ago. I'm still talking about it. Right. 
Uh, all right, I got to go in a moment, but we will check in on uh, Andrew and Stan Hope. Hello. Yeah, that was a great story. And uh, Ellis and her crocodile tears, she's trying to have it both ways. You want to be treated equally as a woman, but then fake crying. Then they criticized Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh, for getting emotional. But he was being accused of conducting gang rapes. So he had the right, and his little daughter of 8 or 11, whatever, you know, has to hear that about that lie about her father. So she's crying. That shows she's not capable of being a good attorney if she can't have her emotions strong and in check. Great and point, right. Andrew. Great point. Uh, I'm with you on that one. Christine in Connecticut. Hey, Greg. You know, the big problem is that Obama and Biden view groups like Bombs for Liberty with more contempt and a threat to our country than foreign enemies. This is why we're in the problem we are. You're you're damn right about that. Christine, you good otherwise? Yeah, um, I'm a new executive director of media and communications for a brand-new group called LGBTS United, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexuals, joined the fight. Marxist gender ideology, which is a cancer in their society. Wow, that's a lot of uh, letters. LGBT USA what? LGBT, LGBTS. There's no more TQ plus IA in All numbers. Right. We're going to. I get you. I get you. All right. So, Christine, by the way, uh, Christine and I are friends. Christine happens to be transgender, but made the decision in, uh, in, 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 the, in her 50s and doesn't think that children should be undergoing this stuff. Christine, good luck with the new group. Keep in touch. Adam, hello. Hey, how you doing, sir? Hey, it's uh, you again. Oh, yeah. You didn't say nothing about Mark Meadows today, huh? What about him? He's ratting on Trump. He's not ratting on Trump. He has nothing to rat on. What is he going to say? On, what, what is he going to say? I told Trump that the election, like, it doesn't matter what he says. He has nothing to say. He has nothing he to say. unity. He yeah. got immunity, sir. Yeah, I, 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 I heard the partial report from ABC News. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what. Look up the Constitution tonight, Adam. After the bus, okay? Look it up, and tell me All if right. it, tell me if there is the phrase "chief of staff" in there. Chief of staff is has nothing to say. It doesn't matter what he said, what he thought, what he told Trump, what he didn't tell Trump. Nothing. No relevance. All right. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you later.